Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. Welcome to the first of two episodes on Low Falling Numbers, with Kim Garland-Campbell and Camille Stieber. Kim and Camille are both research geneticists with the USDA ARS with adjunct faculty appointments in the WSU Department of Crop and Soil Sciences in Pullman. Kim has been a wheat breeder since 1992 and has been in her current position since 1999. The goals of her project are pre-breeding for wheat disease resistance and club wheat cultivar development. She has the distinction of being the only wheat breeder who has a primary focus on club wheat. Camille obtained her PhD from the University of Chicago in molecular genetics. She did her postdoctoral work on seed germination at the University of Toronto. She has been with the USDA ARS for 21 years, working on seed germination, pre-harvest sprouting, and the falling numbers problem in wheat. Hello, Kim. Hello. How are you, Drew? Doing well. And Camille, welcome. Thank you. So, how did the two of you wind up working on falling numbers? Actually, Kim and I have been working on pre-harvest sprouting pretty much the entire time we've been working for the USDA. And pre-harvest sprouting is one of the major causes of low falling numbers. So, when we started having problems with low falling numbers in 2011 and 2013, um, we were called on to start working on this problem And that was when we became interested in falling numbers per se. Right. (laughs) As opposed to seed germination. Okay. So um, falling numbers, a lot of people may wonder what the heck is falling numbers? What what is the falling numbers test and why is it used in the wheat industry? Well, it is a test where basically what is done in the machine is um, wheat flour is mixed with water and then heat it up to make a slurry. And essentially what the machine does is make gravy. And then a uh, metal rod is dropped down through the slurry. And the falling number refers to the amount of time in seconds that it takes for that rod to fall through the slurry and hit the bottom. And so 300 seconds is the um, minimum specification that a lot of our import customers uh, require so that would be, what, five minutes? Uh, yeah, I'm doing math in my head. So <laughs> five minutes. is, um, And anything below that um, receives discounts at the elevator because they know they're going to have a more of a problem to um, market that wheat. So, okay, so if, if the plunger falls faster, the, the gravy is thinner. Right, yeah. And mm-hmm. how does that translate into so, what the marketplace I mean, is looking mm-hmm. for? The point of the falling numbers machine, it, it's an old-fashioned way of measuring the presence of the enzyme alpha amylase in the, uh, in the wheat flour. Okay. And uh, alpha amylase is an enzyme that digests starch. If the starch gets digested into smaller, shorter starch chains, it reduces its gelling capacity. And 
that can translate into problems with poor end product quality. So cakes that fall or sticky noodles or sticky bread. I mean, even before you get to the problem where you would have uh, bread that doesn't rise well, what they find is that uh, when it goes through the the uh, factory and they have big slicing machines, if there's any pre-harvest sprouting or problems with low falling numbers, there's a risk that the slicing machine will get gummed up okay. and mm-hmm. it it costs them a great deal of money to stop the line and clean the slicing machine. So they really don't want to see any risk at all that they have too much alpha amylase in their flour that can gum up the works. Okay. So so what – I guess this alpha amylase causes – is the reason we have low falling numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, why we have alpha amylase problems or – is I mean, is it something that shouldn't be well, there or is, or is it uh, something that's – Explain it a little bit. <laughs> well, it, the reason you get alpha amylase production during pre-harvest sprouting is that it's a necessary part of seed germination. The whole reason that wheat grain is good food is because it has that nice starchy endosperm that we turn into flour. That starch is there because the mother plant has left it there as a, a way to feed the growing seedling as it germinates. Okay. So... You don't want to, for example, make a genetically modified wheat that has no alpha amylase because you'd get very poor emergence because there'd be no way to fuel the growth of the seedling before okay. it starts to do photosynthesis after it start, after it clears the soil. So we can't take a just get rid of all of it kind of approach. We need to have the alpha amylase present when we plant our crop. We just don't want it to be present prematurely if germination is initiated when the crop gets rained on before harvest. Okay. There's another cause of alphamylase in the grain, and that one is more developmental. If we have a big um, temperature fluctuation during uh, the soft dough soft stage, late soft dough stage of grain filling, you can get induction of alphamylase in the grain which then causes you problems with low falling number. Okay. So so the two of you have been... um... Oh, I should have said. (laughs) And that problem is called late maturity alpha amylase or Uh LMA. Okay. So we have this pre-harvest sprouting and late maturity alpha amylase. Two different issues, but basically Mm -hmm. causing a similar problem. This low falling numbers Mm -hmm. affecting quality of of whatever product we're going to make after it. So... Both of you have been, as you said, working uh, on low falling numbers for a long part of your career. But I know these these incidences, uh, 2011, 2013, have really spurred the industry to to uh, um, want some answers. And you two have responded to that. So mm-hmm. can you tell me some of the things you're finding in your research, some of the good news, bad news mm-hmm. kind of information? Well, I think the, the good news is I just recently – looked at all of the data that Camille has collected since 2013 for our major our major market classes, which would be the hard red spring, the um, hard red winter, soft spring, soft white spring, and soft white winter. And um, by and large, most of the cultivars that uh, we analyzed have some resistance to low falling numbers, and some are very good. 
Um, unfortunately, though, some are very bad, at, but at, at a low percentage. But the other unfortunate part is they're the ones that are the most widely grown. <laughs> so especially <laughs> in the soft white winters, uh, some of the lines like uh, Curiosity CL Plus and um, uh, Brio Club Wheat are among our worst performers. <laughs> and and uh, we think that there's a connection between the propensity for low falling numbers and the uh, emergence trait that those uh, those cultivars were bred for where, you know, they have to be planted very deep and emerge just very, very fast to get up out of the ground. So that's the bad news. Yeah, so but, the alpha um, amylase is the thing that fuels seedling growth. So it's mm. the thing that fuels emergence. Right. Okay. So, so it's that's, uh-huh. that's good. The plant yeah. wants that right. to grow, but then it's... It's, and yield. Yeah, right. And, and 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 yet it's bad when it comes to it comes at the wrong time. Like, you know, okay. so if we get these temperature fluctuations or rain at harvest, um those particular lines are more liable to have low falling number problems. So uh, you know, and it, it isn't it isn't really part of the class. Every class has this uh has good and bad lines, M- mostly good, but some bad. <laughs> and and uh uh, and that includes club wheat, like Briel is one of our worst lines and, and Crescent is one of our best lines. It, so it's not it's not a class thing. It's just the genes segregating okay. within the so, so, brands, so I know uh, I've talked to Clark Neely, our, our uh, variety mm-hmm. testing person, and I think you're trying to figure out how to get that information into the variety testing right, yeah. information that's found on the Small Grains website. Where are you at on that? Well, um, actually, I had told him I'd have it to him by last week, but then I went out of town. <laughs> so so <laughs> okay. now yesterday I said, okay, by Friday. You know, So, so, so I should have the data analysis to him by the okay. end of the day tomorrow. And then you know he, he'll probably have to format it a little bit, but right. we should be able to get it up pretty so, quick. So growers will be able to take a look at yeah. the varieties and see how they, right. how they, how they rank, rank for, for yeah. that. Yeah, Very because good. we now have, you know, Data, uh-huh. falling numbers data on the variety trials mm-hmm. going all the way back to 2013 on the falling numbers website Steber, mm-hmm. on steberlab.org. Okay. Yeah. And Kim is integrating all of that data together okay. in order to give you a summary mm-hmm. of how those varieties behave across all of those years and environments. Okay. Mm-hmm. So is it is it going to be uh, – do you have an idea whether it's going to be a number system yeah, or a I good, think bad, what we're good Yeah, what we're thing? aiming for is the 1 to 10 scale that we've okay. used for all the other traits. So okay. 1 would be good and 10 would be bad. Okay. And though down the, right now we're just going to put it up like, okay, of all the environments that had an issue, these varieties you know, performed well, these varieties didn't perform well. And then down the road, we're going to refine it a bit and um, separate out whether it's for pre-harvest sprouting or LMA conditions. Okay. But we figured right now, let's just get it up there and okay. and then. So uh, this is low falling numbers right. in general. In general, okay. yeah. And and, and uh, yeah, and we just met. I think it was two weeks ago with um, the folks from Ag WeatherNet to um, do some work. I don't know that you know this, Camille, but no. do some work. Um, <laughs> With the weather data that they have collected over time to better define, like, what was the likely cause of the issue in, in the environments for all these data points that we have going back to 2013. So, okay. Because we know if it rained, you know, there, if it, or oh, I guess I should say, we know if it didn't rain and we had a low falling number problem, then it was LMA. If it did rain, it could be pre harvest sprouting or it could be both. 
Um, yeah. And so we want to separate those environments. Out and is there, a, a, from a producer standpoint or an end user standpoint, is there a difference whether it was caused by mm-hmm. pre-harvest sprouting, whether the low falling numbers mm-hmm. was caused by pre-harvest sprouting or whether it was caused by LMA? There's a... There's evidence in the literature that LMA has a less profound effect on end-use quality than pre-harvest sprouting does. Okay. Um, But as Craig Morris likes to point out, those studies need to be done more carefully with real near-isogenic ones so that you know you're looking at a difference between pre-harvest sprouting and LMA rather than a difference between variety X and variety Uh, Y. Okay. Mm -hmm. But- so far, it does seem like there's a smoking gun and that pre-harvest sprouting has a more profound effect. And um, the pro- the reason for this is likely that LMA is a fairly specific induction of just the alpha amylase enzyme, whereas in pre-harvest sprouting, you know, the, the starch isn't the only thing that the seedling has to eat. There are also um, – there's also fat and there's protein – so that okay. germinating seed actually produces a whole suite of digestive enzymes, breaking down proteins and lipids. Mm-hmm. And that may also be having an effect on end use quality, besides the really obvious problem that there's expression of alpha amylase. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Drew. Thank you, Drew. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.